Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John continues in the series entitled Wasted. This is part number three, and it is entitled Wasted Worship. And now here is Pastor John with today's message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Psalm. We're going to three places to begin with. We're going to, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning. Did you, uh, did you bring a fork and a knife spiritually today? Because we have some meat we have to cut today. All right? So three places we're going to start. Psalm 103. If you're writing this down, Psalm 103, verse 1. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, and then 1 Samuel 16, 7. Three different places. I know that's a lot. I know that's too much coordination. You may not be able to get your fingers in your Bible. All those scriptures will be on the screen. Psalm 103 and 1, Malachi 1, 6 through 10, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Here's Psalm 103 and 1. You've heard, if you've been in church for very long, you've heard this. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Malachi chapter 1, and I'll read this again in just a few minutes. The Lord of heaven's army, so this is God, says to the priests, the people who are in charge of worship, he said, a son serves his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and master, where is the honor and the respect that I deserve? You've shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? Verse seven says, you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? God said, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, the Lord said. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? asks the Lord how I wish this is this is remarkable please don't miss this verse God said how I wish one of you one of the priests would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered I am not pleased with you and I will not accept your offerings 1 Samuel 16 7 the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his height or his appearance, for I have rejected him. Looks like he's got it all together. God said, no, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Father, would you add your anointing, your revelation to the hearing and the, and the reading of your word? Lord, we need your understanding today. We need humility today to be able to receive the word. We, we need courage to be able to apply the word in our lives and to do whatever it is that you've called us to do in accordance with your word. 
Thank you for your truth and thank you for your love, which go hand in hand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. All over the world this morning, there are millions, maybe billions of people in churches doing what we call worshiping. Worshiping. And if you peel back the the roofs of those churches or those gathering places, what you could see with your eyes might look pretty similar. The things that we do, the ways we express worship look pretty similar all over the world. The songs might sound different, the languages will be different, but a lot of the motions, a lot of the activities that we do in worship look pretty similar. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to, you could boil it down to two people. You could take two people, both of them doing the same things, both passionate, both intense, both unashamed, But if you measure according to the standards of the Word of God, it is entirely possible that one of them may be truly worshiping the Lord and one of them is wasting his worship. The spiritual fact of the matter is you can can go through the motions of worship, you can assume the positions of worship, you can speak the words of worship, you can sing the songs of worship, but never actually be worshiping God. God said it to the priest in Malachi. He said, I wish you would just close the doors rather than waste the allow all of this wasted worship to take place in my sanctuary. You say, but John, if they're doing the same things, if they're raising their hands, if they're singing their songs, if they're engaging their emotions, how could one of them be praising God, worshiping God, one of them be accepted and the other one rejected? Oh, that's why we read that first Samuel scripture, because God says the most spiritually significant part of a person is not what can be seen on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. Worship, just like every other part of our walk with Jesus, is an inside out proposition. And if we only concern ourselves with what's happening on the outside, We waste our worship and we fail to meet the purpose of worship, which is what? Psalm 103, bless the Lord. The purpose of worship is to bless the Lord with all that is within us, not just what is on the outside of us. Does that make sense? So today we're going to finish up this series that was called Wasted, and we need to look at some of the ways that we waste our worship. And this was really the the genesis of this series. This was the first message, the first thing that I felt like the Lord really drew my attention to and laid on my heart. And so we're going to look at the ways that that sometimes we waste our worship because if what we, the goal is to make sure that everything we offer to the Lord blesses Him, whether it impresses anybody else or not. Amen? So here we go. We waste our worship when our worship is just a habit. We waste our worship when worship is just a habit. I want to show you John chapter 4. This is the words of Jesus. It's part of a larger larger account of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And he said this, the time is coming. She brought up worship and Jesus said, as a matter of fact, there's a time coming and it's here now that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now I I want to hang on right there for a second because Jesus said true worshipers. The fact that, that he had to, to 
spell out true worshipers means that there is a such thing as a false worshiper, as, as wasted worship. He said true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. God's looking for people to worship him that way. And then he says it again, for God is, is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him, in, here it is again, in spirit and in truth. So too many times what we offer to God as worship is more about what we've always done, it's more about what we're comfortable with, than it is about being in spirit and in truth right here in this moment. See, some translations use a capital S for spirit, and some, like the one we just read, use a lowercase s. Either way, worship is a spiritual connection, not a habitual connection. It's, it's not okay to just show up and do what you've always done. It's not okay to just show up and do what's comfortable for you today. The Holy Spirit it, it has to be involved in this. Truth has to be involved in this. And, and by truth, I mean the spiritual reality that's dictated and defined by God himself in this moment. In this moment. Because what's happening right now is not the same thing that happened yesterday. Right? God has a plan on, on, that he's executing on the earth, right? God, God, he said, pray, Jesus said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? It's not just any kingdom. It's, it's the kingdom, and he is the king. He has a plan. So if the point of worship is to bless the Lord, doesn't it make sense that the best way to bless the Lord would be to listen to him and follow the leadership of his spirit so that we understand the spiritual reality that's going on around us each day? And here's, here's what I mean. Sometimes... God wants us to rejoice and to celebrate his goodness and his greatness, right? He wants us to celebrate him. And so clapping and shouting and dancing and jumping, those are all in order in those situations. But if we connect with God and in, the, in, the, in that day, in that moment, what he wants to do is draw us into intercession for lost souls or for prodigal sons, then those other expressions of worship would be out of order, in that moment, because that's not in spirit and in truth, the truth is going on in that moment. You see, God is a person. He's not a robot. And though his character and, and though his attributes are the same yesterday and today and forever, he has different goals. He has different plans from day to day. There are different parts of himself that he wants to reveal to us. He, he wants us to understand him differently today than we did yesterday. And so if we just continue to do what we've always done in his presence, then we're ignoring his spirit and the spiritual truth that surrounds him. And Jesus said, if you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth, you're wasting your worship because you're not connecting with him in this moment. Does that make sense? For instance, last week in the 11 o'clock service last week at, at you know, as, as we come out of worship and it's time to go into the Word, I usually do some sort of transition. Uh, it's something usually stands out to me in worship. The, the Spirit just brings something to my attention. Sometimes it's one line, one word of a song we've sung. Sometimes it's a completely different direction, but usually it's right in the flow. But last week, I had two different things going on in, in my spirit all at the same time. 
And I prayed specifically. I said, Lord, I can't say two things at once. Please narrow this down for me. Like I need to know what's the next step. What's the transition? And I still had both of them and I felt just as passionately about both of them. But then it was time to, you know, sometimes you run out of time to pray. Sometimes it's time to move. And so it was time and I had to come to the platform. So as soon as I stepped on the platform, I realized it's not time to talk anyway. So it doesn't matter how good what you got is just shut up and let God do what he's doing in that moment. And that's what I did. And within just a few moments, we we had the demonstration of of the spiritual gifts of, of tongues and interpretation. And and the interpretation was simple and it was clear, but it was exactly what I needed to tie those two thoughts together that God gave it to me right in the moment. And then there was clear direction. There was a clear call to the altar. And and because of, of being in that moment, a number of significant things happened in people's lives, including the healing of that lady that we just talked about. But here's the trap. And we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. Here's the trap that we have to avoid. Because the temptation would be to say, now who was it prayed for? Who laid their hands on her? And, and like, what, what exactly did they say? What words did they use? And, and like, what song was being played in that moment? Because that's like God's holy anointed song now. And, and you know, what was the air conditioner set on? And where were the lights? And we, we, we get all weird about stuff like that. It's, and it's absolutely the wrong way to approach this. We should never try to replicate something that God has done in the past because God is the great I am. He is eternally present tense. He's got a thousand ways to do everything. We can't think of one way to do something miraculous. He's got a thousand ways. And we try to, we try to follow the steps we, we, we want a, a checklist so we can do all those things and, then, and, and get the same result. But that's not a thing in the Bible. If you do the same thing, listen, don't miss this. If you are doing the same thing over and over again trying to get the desired result, then what you've fallen into is religious superstition. It's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. They say the same things every time, right? They, they do the same thing every time. They develop these incantations and, and to get the desired result, to manipulate spirits into doing what they want them to do. That's not what you do with a living, breathing, eternally powerful God. Listen, we don't need habits. We need a habitation. He just wants us to get in relationship with him, listen to him, worship him in spirit and in truth, and let him do what he wants to do. When we make worship a habit, his spirit's unnecessary, and there's no true worship without worshiping in spirit and truth. So don't waste your worship. Don't waste your worship on a habit. Here's the second thing. Sometimes we we waste our worship when our horizontal relationships are off. When our horizontal relationships are off. There are three scriptures here. Matthew 5. This is from the the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 and 23. It says, so this was part of the the message that Jesus was giving about anger. And, And so I want to pull these two out because they apply to worship. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple so we would understand that as worshiping God on a Sunday morning. 
If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go be reconciled with that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Let me show you 1 Peter chapter 3, a verse no, no husband wants to read. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, speaking physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that your prayers will not be part of how you worship God, part of how you connect with God is hindered, it's wasted if you're not treating your wife right. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. You may remember the King James version of it that says, that says to, as far as it concerns you, live at peace with everyone. You know, sometimes we think we can come into church and shut off the rest of the world like we can worship God in a vacuum. That when we're in his presence, that it's just us and him. But God sees us all the time. We can, we can fake it for everybody else. You can't fake it with God. He, he sees everything all the time. And he's not just concerned about the vertical relationship with him. He's concerned about our horizontal relationships as well. How you treat other people is a reflection of how much you respect God because he's the creator of every person you come in contact with, even the annoying ones, even the angry ones, the rude ones. He created them too. They have beauty, they have purpose, they have value because of their connection to God. So when you treat them badly, God notices and he takes it personally. If you're a parent, would you have a close relationship with someone who treats your kids bad? Would you like hang out with people who treat your kids bad? What would you think if someone introduced you and they said, hey, let me introduce you to my buddy Fred. Fred's the guy that terrorizes my kid. Fred's a guy that embarrasses him in front of everybody. Fred's a guy that posts nasty stuff about him on Facebook. Me and Fred, we hang out almost every weekend. What would you think about that person? You'd think they lost their minds. Why in the world would you hang out with Fred when Fred clearly hates your kid? Was that too complicated? Right? It's pretty simple. So why do we think God is just overjoyed to see us come in on Sunday morning when we've been mistreating his kids all week long? Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar. Just stop what you're doing and get the horizontal fixed. Then you can come back and focus on the vertical. Why? Because otherwise, Jesus said, you're wasting your worship. Before I became the lead pastor here almost seven years ago, if you can believe that, I spent the previous 20 years serving other pastors as a staff member, uh, many of them here in this church. And, and once I understood the biblical importance, the spiritual importance of, of horizontal unity, once I understood how, how the gravity of that subject, 
I made it a point to make sure the pastor and I were good before we walked out on the platform. Because, you know, people are human. Even pastors are human, right? And sometimes you have some conflict about something during the week. And there were many times when, when it, I, just, I didn't know. Something just felt weird. And I'd just stick my head in his office and say, are we okay? Are we good? Do we need to talk about anything? Because I didn't, want, I didn't want to walk into a worship service and not have unity with my pastor, to not have somebody that had something against me and I couldn't, and I couldn't take care of it or didn't take care of it. So even, even if I had to apologize for something that I wasn't technically responsible for, in the, in the interest of the unity and the restoration of the relationship, I did whatever I had to do because that was more important. It was more important. If you're waiting on the other person to admit they're wrong, you're sacrificing your vertical connection with God. Your right to be right might just be making you wrong. Here's the question. Is that person, is that issue important enough to keep you from worshiping God? Is, is that person or that issue important enough to keep you out of God's presence? Even if that person is unavailable, they may be out of state, they may just have cut off all contact with you, uh, it may have been your fault, it may have been their fault. Or, or that sometimes people pass away and we haven't, we haven't been able to reconcile. At least take that person to the throne of God. At least pray. Take that person to the Lord. Forgive them and release them right there on the spot. And then you can go back to worship. Then you can begin to worship. We waste our worship when we allow our horizontal relationships to get out of line. And then here's the last thing. I have a hair on my face. It's not mine. It's driving me insane. This is why I shave my head. Hair is annoying. All right. Here, here's the last thing. Sometimes we waste our worship when we try to hide our sin. We waste our worship when we try to hide our sin. We're going to go back to Malachi chapter 1, but I also want to show you Isaiah chapter 6. Malachi 1, I'm going to read this again. Just You know what? Let's go to, let's go to verse 8. Heather, let's go to 8. Nine. Let's go to nine. You're welcome. I'm trying to save you time, but it's taking me too long to get here. God said, go ahead and beg and beg me. Go ahead and beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, a polluted, stained offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord. How I wish you would shut the doors of the temple so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I'm not pleased with you, and I will not accept your offerings. And then Isaiah chapter 6, you, you've heard this before. We use this a lot in worship. Sometimes we miss part of, of what happens. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two they covered their, their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other. This is a scene that he saw in heaven. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy. Notice that word, holy, is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple 
because they were so loud and so powerful. Uh, They shook the temple to its foundations and the whole building was filled with smoke. And look at what Isaiah did. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. This is the prophet of God. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And when you continue to read, you find out that the angel, because of his cry, the angel took, the, took a coal from the altar and purged his lips. It purified him. Let me ask you this. How do you think, how do you think things would be different in the churches of America if we got a glimpse of who God really is? How would we approach our church services differently? How would, it, how would it change things if we walked into the sanctuary and instead of seeing a pulpit and instruments and a platform, we saw the throne of God? But isn't that what we say we're doing when we come into church? Don't we say we're, we're going to... I remember Brother Pete, Happy Hill Baptist Church. God, we're, we, we come before you humbly as we know how, approaching your throne. Isn't that what we say we do every time we come into church? But do we really see God for who he really is? I think it'd be a great unifier for the body of Christ. I think a whole lot of silliness would stop. Because when you see God for who he really is, you're no longer worried about anybody else in the world. You realize really quickly that God is holy and you're not. You realize quickly that there are things in your life that you need to repent of. And I believe if we would get a glimpse of who God really is every time we come into his presence, that there'd be a revival of repentance in our churches. So what is worship? Isn't it supposed to be a time that we approach the throne of God. But I think too many times we just go through the motions of worship while our hearts are far from Him. We try to hide our sin behind the mask of worship. That if we do the things that everybody else is doing, if we act like everybody else, then maybe God will be fooled. But God's not fooled. You say, but listen, John, doesn't doesn't Jesus call us to come to him just as we are? Didn't we sing that song when we were growing up, just as I am? Absolutely, yes. He calls to people to come to him just as they are. But the call is for salvation and repentance. It's not a call to worship. God never ignores sin. He can't. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The apostle Paul was preaching to a bunch of heathens in Athens. And he said, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. God doesn't overlook sin. He's holy. At his essence, when you see God 
apparently when Isaiah saw God, he didn't just see power, he didn't see love, he didn't see goodness, he didn't see all of those things that God is. The first and predominant characteristic of God is his holiness. He's holy. And he calls everyone, everywhere to repent, especially people who are in relationship with him. So yes, he invites everyone to come as they are, but not to stay as they are. Sin separates us from the heart of God, and you can't worship him when your heart is far from him. So how dare we come before the throne of God, stained and filthy, and not humble ourselves in his presence before him? Malachi said, just close the doors. Close the doors instead of bringing lame, stained, inappropriate sacrifices. You say, but John, I'm not perfect. I'm not spotless. How will I ever worship God? And it's a good question. And I'm going to answer that for you. Before I do, I want to say something real quick. It's not so much that he expects you to be perfect. He does expect you to be humble and honest in his presence. You see, there's a difference, and I think you'll agree with me, there's a difference in ignorance and intention. Right? Isn't there a difference when somebody bumps into you and they didn't mean to? And when somebody runs over you? That's two different things. Some of you are young in the Lord, and, and some of you are doing, doing things that are not right in the eyes of God. You just don't know it yet. You can only, you can only walk in the light as the light shines on your path. So don't get discouraged. Keep pressing on. Keep going. You're doing great. You just stay with Jesus, and his Holy Spirit will speak to you and show you what you need to change. So you just keep walking and keep listening. Right? Now, there, there are others of you who don't know Jesus at all yet. You're not serving him, not even trying to, not even claiming you do. And that's perfectly fine. You just, you, you're in the right place. You're welcome. I'm glad you're here. You stay as long as you need to stay and learn as much about Jesus as you can learn so that, so that when you do, and I believe when you learn about who Jesus really is, then, then you're going to dive into, into a deep relationship with him. And so that's great. Take your time. But there are people in the American church, and I dare say in this church, who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be believers, but who are living in ways that they know are not pleasing to God. So what's the proper response for a believer when they come into the presence of God with sin in their lives? You do the same thing Isaiah did when he saw God on the throne. You confess your sin and repent. Don't hide it behind worship and hope God doesn't notice. He notices. So you do what, what he did, this, this allegory, symbolically, this angel took the coal from the altar and cleansed his lips. Listen, repentance gets a bad rap. We, we don't want to talk about repentance, but repentance is not a function of judgment. It's a function of God's grace. It's not the bad news. It's the good news. It's, God doesn't have to allow us to repent. The very fact that he allows us and calls us to repentance demonstrates his love for us. It's not that God hates us. It's that he loves us. Because it's the mechanism that God offers us to get back in right relationship with him again. 
He can't stop being holy. And so he made a way for us to be holy by giving the righteousness of Christ in exchange for what we brought. And all we have to do is repent. And then he exchanges our filthiness for his righteousness. And it happens immediately. And then we can worship God in spirit and in truth. We can worship him with nothing standing between the two of us. And that's a beautiful thing. Let me show it to you in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verse 3 says this, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy presence? Isn't that what we're trying to do every week? Don't we want to be in the presence of God? Y'all are scared to say anything now. Don't we want to be in the presence of God every week? So, so the question is, who, who gets to do that? Who, how do we get in the presence of God each week? Here's verse 4, the answer. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who don't worship idols and don't tell lies, never tell lies is what it says. They will receive they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Clean hands and a clean heart. You say, well, see, I just believe God's up there taking attendance. And as long as I show up and, and I lift my hand every once in a while and I don't fall asleep most of the time, then God's impressed and I get credit for that. Like he checks me off that I was there that day. He ain't impressed. Amen. He's just not. God could not care less about our rituals and our routines and our habits of worship. If what's on the inside doesn't match what's on the outside, it's wasted. It's wasted. I want to show you what, I, what, what God said in Isaiah 58. We're going to read the first seven verses. God said, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. And I know you're thinking, shout the praises of the Lord. Look at what he said. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Verse 2. Yet they act so pious. See, what's on the outside is not a reflection of what's on the inside. They come to the temple every day, and they seem delighted to learn about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of, of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? <laughs> We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. God said, I'll tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourself. And listen, don't, don't, just, don't just think this is about fasting. This is about every way that we interact with God. He said, even, even while you fast, look at this, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress up in burlap and cover yourselves in ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Can we hang on right there? That's exactly what you do when you fast. You put on sackcloth and ashes. You, you, put ash, you, 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 uh, you, you make yourself look like you're repenting. You mourn and you confess. Everything he described that they're doing is exactly what fasters are supposed to do. And God said, 
Is that all you got? Do you think this is going to please me? Look at what he said in verse 6. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Now listen, that, that's, kind of a, uh, that's kind of a literary device right there. He don't even, he's not even asking you to fast. Listen to what he says. You, you want to fast that will please me? Here's what will please me. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. God's concerned about justice. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. He's concerned about how you treat people at work. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Now it gets personal. It's not just social justice. Share your food with the hungry. Your food. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And don't hide from, <laughs> don't hide from relatives who need help. He didn't have to say that, did he? God said, you're fasting, you're praying, your efforts at worship are wasted because they're hiding what's really in your heart. When you knowingly and willfully live a lifestyle of sin, God's not interested in your worship. He's interested in your obedience. He's interested in your repentance. Worship is not just a section of a church service. Worship is the fruit. It's the outpouring, the overflow of a lifestyle that submits to God and submits to his word. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do the things I told you to do. He didn't say, if you love me, then keep singing songs. He didn't say, if you love me, keep lifting your hands, keep shouting and rejoicing. He said, do what I say to do. Those, all those things are good. They're right. They're pleasing when they're in order and when they come from a heart that's in right relationship with God. But if you're not doing what he says Monday through Saturday, he's not impressed with what you offer him on Sunday. So can I just pull up in the driveway <laughs> like I hadn't already? Let me just break this down. If you're a follower of Jesus... If you're knowingly living in sin, he is not interested in you coming in here and having a Holy Ghost hoedown every Sunday. He wants you to repent. You, you can't come into his presence, into his holy presence, knowing your family's out of order and act like everything's okay. Let's just start where we live. Husbands, you, you, can't, you can't say... I don't love my wife. I know I don't love my wife as Christ loved the church. And I wouldn't even put down the remote for her, much less lay down my life for her. But I just want to get my praise on today. Wives, you can't say, oh, I know I don't submit to my husband and I put him down and belittle him every chance I get and I fight him with every decision he makes, but I just want to love on the Lord this morning. Kids, you can't say, I know I'm disobedient and disrespectful to my parents and my teachers and my coaches and pretty much every adult in my life, but I just love to sing and shout and raise my hands. Listen, I know this is not fun preaching, but is it the truth? Amen. Is it the truth? You can't just say, I know, I know I gossiped all week about everybody and everything, but here I am to praise the Lord. You, you can't say, I know I'm rebelling against my boss and, and against all the authorities over me in the Lord, but I, I just really love God. I just want to come and tell him. 
You can't say, I know I was drunk last night, but as long as I got on up, kind of pushed through the pain and showed up at church, then, then, then that's okay. It's all good. It is not all good. He wants those with clean hands and a clean heart to worship him. Don't hide behind the mask of worship so nobody will know. God already knows. And if you're more worried about what somebody else thinks than what God thinks, you're already in trouble. God forbid that a believer can come into this house knowing they're living in sin and not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You say, John, don't you want people to leave feeling good about themselves? Not if they're living in sin. No, I don't. I I hope you go out miserable, convicted by the Holy Spirit. And if you've gotten to the point where you can walk in here and you don't even feel a twinge of godly sorrow over the sin that's in your life, then you need to run to this altar before your conscience is completely seared. Because if you ignore his voice enough... Either you can't hear him or he quits talking, but either way, who's going to call you to repentance? How are you going to get clean hands and a clean heart? 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And the fastest way to quench a holy spirit is with sin. He wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And you can't divide the holy from the spirit. We can't invite him to bless our shout and bless our dance and bless our worship, but not also invite him to convict us of sin when we're wrong. We want to see miracles. We want to see power. We want to see passion, but we don't want the conviction. It's a package deal. You say, but I thought Jesus came to make me healthy and wealthy and happy. (laughs) No, Jesus came because your sin was taking you to hell. He didn't die to make you happy. He died to make you holy, and then he gave you his spirit to help you walk that out in your life. If we're just going to say the magic words and go right back into the same old lifestyle, why did Jesus die on the cross? There has never been a significant move of the Spirit in the Bible or in history that didn't begin with the conviction of sin and true repentance. It was not an eight-week praise and worship service. It was not 18 weeks of the preacher not preaching. Go back and read your history. Go back and read the Bible. It started with souls repenting of their sin, and and laying themselves on the altar. We want to sing about let the river flow, but the river is being dammed up by unrepented sin. If we're ever going to see a revival that will shake this city and change our lives and change the lives of our family members and our friends, it's going to start with us. In the house of God, not just on our feet with our hands lifted and our voices raised, but on our faces before God, crying out in repentance. Otherwise, we're wasting our worship.
Seems a little misplaced, but now let me leave you with some good news. Y'all okay with some good news? I want to finish the, the next few verses from the chapter we just read in Isaiah 58. When you stop wasting worship, when we stop wasting worship on habits, when we make sure that our horizontal relationships are good, and when we commit to not hide our sins behind a mask of worship, this is what God promises. There's always promises of God for obedience. God's a covenant God. He makes promises for obedience to his covenant. Here's Isaiah chapter 58, verses 8 through 11. He just said, if you'll learn, you want, you want to know the kind of fasting, I'm, I'm, uh, the kind of worship, the kind of prayer that I'm impressed with is when it changes your life. So when you start sharing your food with the poor, when you start treating people right, when you start doing the right thing, and then verse 8 says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Listen, I don't remember what preacher it was I heard say this, but it's your secrets that keep you sick. And when you confess and reveal those things to the Lord, when you repent of those things, your salvation comes like the dawn and your wounds quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. And he will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumor, rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Would you stand with me today? We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.